So we're going to carry on in 1 Peter 4 and verses 12 to 19 as we carry on this series of exiles. So if you can turn to that. And uh, it will probably be headed in your Bible something like suffering as a Christian. So it's Father's Day and I get to talk about suffering. Woo! (laughs) Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes on you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So, suffering then, um, it, it feels like it's a subject I've done a few times, uh, but actually... The Bible's got it because that's what started to happen to the Christians in the first century. That a pressure came on them at different times in different places, sometimes within a locality, sometimes it was more widespread. Um, So here the apostle is warning us, don't be surprised about the fiery trial. Now trials come in various ways, don't they? Trials of various kinds. School dinners. Now, it seems to me when I was at school, school dinners were a trial. You had to look at that unusually, that unusual shade of green curry. Why was it that sort of green? Strange. It wasn't Thai. It was, I don't know what it was. Or unspecified meat pie. (laughs) Or boiled cabbage that had been boiled... Several days on the run. (laughs) It's a trial. But that's not the kind of trial that the Apostle's talking about. Then there's this other kind of trial, the highly inaccurate information that my dad used to give me. He would say, son, I need you to give me a hand today. And it preceded these very frightening words. It's not heavy, And it won't take long. (laughs) Then the trial begins. It was heavy, and it took all day. And and he said that kind of thing a lot. (laughs) But that's not the kind of trial here either. Nor the punishment for disobedience at junior school. Now, sometimes I think we can underestimate teachers and head teachers for the punishments they give. The head teacher I had at junior school... He punished me with something so hideously grotesque to an eight, nine-year-old boy. He made me, every dinner time, for a week, sit on a table of fourth-year girls. (laughs) That's a trial. When you're eight, sitting with fourth-year girls. Hideous. 
But that's not the kind of trial we're talking about here either. The trial in question here is to do with your faith. It's a reflection on 1 Peter 1.7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, uh, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the apostle has already spoken about such things at the beginning. So it's no surprise that he comes back to it here. So you say that you have faith, but actually you're going to get tested to find out what your faith actually consists of. And that's when it's hard. Now, Chinese Christians have been suffering for many years. And I remember hearing a story about where the Christians used to meet up in a cave outside of a town. And one day, the police turned up with their weapons, held them all to gunpoint, and said, anybody here who will not stand up and declare Christ as their saviour, leave now, or you will suffer the punishment. And a number of people left, and once they had left, the police said, now tell us about this Jesus, and put their guns away. You see, what they needed to do was get rid of those who would betray them. Faith was tested. Those who actually don't have real faith went away. Trials are going to come because one day people are going to start to challenge you about your faith. Perhaps even in this country where people will say, so you believe in Jesus, do you? Are you prepared to die for your faith? Are you prepared to stand up and suffer for the name of Christ? It's happening around the world now. What makes you think it won't come here? Faith always needs testing. And it seems to me that only God can test a person's faith and it be perfectly reasonable. Because it stimulates endurance, commitment and trust. If your faith is tested, you find out what's in you. What do you trust about God? What matters to you when it finally comes to it? Are you prepared to suffer for the name of Christ? And don't be surprised that your faith is tested. And here, it's about the conflict with the world. This is not about some of the generalised sufferings that we can go through. This is about conflict from the world. Not about external events that happen to all sorts of people, including Christians. Not about your internal struggles about identity or whatever. This is about when others despise you for your faith. Don't be surprised. They despised Christ. They will despise Christ in you. So don't be surprised. It's bound to happen. Because when Christ comes, it brings that division between are you going to live for the truth or are you going to live your own way? It provokes people in the spirit. So don't be surprised when it comes. Now, it is also true, and the passage says it, that suffering is a blessing. Who thinks suffering is a blessing? Anybody? Yeah, one or two people who probably have suffered and understand why it is. Now, one day, 
This was early in our married life. Ruth said to me, I'm going to cook something different this evening. And you think, okay. Green curry. <laughs> oh, if only it sounded like that. It was, she said, I'm going to do egg cutlets. That's the colour look I had, Sam, I think. <laughs> A, what the hell is that? Egg cutlets sounds gross. Sounds not at all nice. So you have to decide at this point how you're going to handle it. This is your wife, your new wife, cooking it. And you have to decide how best to handle this. <laughs> Endure it with blessing and smiles. And go, yeah, that'd be nice. Whatever it is. Actually, it was amazing. It really was amazing. So much so that I kept asking for it. <laughs> I've only had it once since. <laughs> We've been married 30 years. <laughs> this is a hint. And it wasn't so long ago, was it, that when Tracy and Steve were going through the work situation that Tracy had, where they had to endure false accusations and pressure against them that seemed never-ending but constantly present, didn't it? And it was that horrendous sense it's there constantly but being falsely accused. So where's the blessing on that plague-like mental suffering? I suspect there are many, but I'm going to name three that I'm aware of. I think... Was it Pete and Jill's daughter-in-law that helped you? Um, and with her legal knowledge. So that was an incredible blessing. Uh, because that somebody from in the body knew somebody who could help you. And they were there to help you. So there's a blessing. Corporate prayer, prayer and social support within the church enabled you to endure through it, knowing you weren't alone, we were with you. And then the outcome outweighs the trial. Because actually, you can see God was in it from the beginning. That's the blessing. You see, when we suffer for Christ, the spirit of glory rests on us. It's on us. We can often think we're suffering in some kind of void where we're on our own. But that's not the truth. The truth is God is with us in it. Why? Because he's in us. So when we're suffering, be confident that God is with you in it. The spirit of glory rests upon you. You remember in Acts chapter 7 and verse 54. Now when they heard these things, the Jews, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at Stephen. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, fell asleep. You see, the glory was on him. He could see heaven opened. He was full of the Holy Spirit and was able to endure stones being thrown at him 
without any particular kind of recognition. Why? Because he's living elsewhere. Because he's looking elsewhere. Because he's confident God is going to keep him. Now, in the end, that's what's going to matter. Who's going to keep you at the end? So here is confidence. Though God will see our faith tested and it will be a trial, he is there in it with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can chant these these things out as a kind of mantra, but when suffering comes, that's when it's going to matter. That's when you're going to notice it. God will never leave you nor forsake you. It becomes real to you. So don't see suffering as a negative, but as evidence of your faith, of the presence and the glory of God to come. It is better to suffer in this life and enter a holy place than to have an easy life and enter hell. So don't be afraid of suffering. Now, there is also a warning here about needless suffering. So he says, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a meddler. Now, I don't like heights. Actually, when it comes down to it, it's not the height I don't like. It's the gap between me and the ground. (laughs) I'm not keen on. I can remember flying over the Alps, and it's an amazing kind of scene as you look over it. And then you think, you know... I really do not want to fall down there right now. I just know I'm going to land on one of the pointy bits. (laughs) And so, sometimes we can end up needlessly suffering. And in Whitstable, on Church Street playing field, there used to be a concrete construction. It's difficult to call it a building. It did have doors and windows, but no, no actual door and no glass. It was just a concrete building to change into in, for football and stuff like that on the, on the green. But with some mates after school once, I climbed up onto the roof. At this point, needless suffering came into it. It looked so far from the roof to the ground, I didn't know if I was ever going to get down. Well, obviously I have. But it, and it's not far. I remember it's not a very high building. But the dread of it caused me to suffer terribly to just get off the roof of this building. It was needless, though. It was my own fault it was there in the first place. The building did not have a sign on it saying, please climb me. It wasn't a requirement of walking across the field. If you're going to walk across this field, you must climb to the top of this building. It was needless. Now, murder is certainly extreme. And I guess you can honestly look at this and think, how on earth, why why has the apostle put this for a Christian? Don't needlessly suffer as a murderer. Well, because it has come down through history that some Christians have, or or supposed Christians, have said they're going to kill people in the name of God. And he's saying, don't do that. Don't suffer that way for that. It's been an absolutely shocking week this week, hasn't it? In the news. 
because somebody has been murdered by what looks to be somebody with extreme views for no obviously apparent reason. But for what they believe. They've murdered somebody on the basis of what they themselves believe. They believe so hardly, that harshly, that they can kill people. What's the world coming to when that happens? Now, should the murderer suffer, he can make no complaint because he brought it on himself. We are not to kill people for the sake of the gospel. That's not the kind of people we're called to be. Thieves. Ronnie Biggs, the great train robber, had to, when he escaped, escaped out of the country and spent most of his life away from the UK. But he hated it so much that at the end of his life, he preferred incarceration in England as preferable to freedom abroad. Because he wasn't at home. But he brought it on himself. So actually, it was needless suffering. He never needed to do that. He brought it on himself. We are not to be those who steal. We're not to steal from the world because we think the kingdom belongs to God, everything therefore belongs to us, we can take it. No, no. The Lord will give us everything that we need. So we're not to bring needless suffering on ourselves. And what about evildoers? The Family International, or as they're better known, the Children of God, used to evangelise. Like most cults do, they evangelise. But they had a particular goal in mind. They wanted to get quite a few men into their cult. And so they devised what they felt was the most effective way of reaching as many men as they thought they could by sending out their women to do what was called flirty fishing. Essentially, it's, the prostitution, it's prostitution as mission. They were meant to sleep with people and then present their gospel and then get them into the cult. That's how it worked. It's using sin to communicate their message. But of course it brought needless suffering on people. All those women seriously damaged. All those people within the cult seriously damaged. We're not to be the kind of people that take the words of Paul that say, by all means preach the gospel, to then say, by all means including sin. Paul does not mean that. We are not to be like that. And then meddlers. It's interesting that Paul goes through these stages of murderer, thief, evildoer, meddler. It's it's like the murderer, that's like the worst thing. Then there's thief, that's pretty bad. Evildoer is a generalised badness. And then we get round to meddler. Now, I can think of one person that's called a meddler in history, and that's Thomas Beckett, that meddlesome priest. And if you read a biography, uh, any biography of him, you'll find that he certainly seems to help to bring suffering down on his own head. 
he is a bit of a pain in the butt. And he paid for it. Had he been more conciliatory, more a man of peace, more somebody able to use a soft word instead of a wrathful one, it might have gone differently for him. But he seems to have had a martyr mentality. And the meddlesome brought around his death. We're not to do that. We're meant to be the people who actually bring a peaceful word. Who know how to speak soft words to turn away wrath. And finally, we're to trust God to the uttermost. The point of all this, this part of the passage, is for you to see where your confidence lies. We're meant to walk away from this being confident. Not undermined, not fearful, not worried, but confident of where we stand. The fiery trial is to test you. But what is God testing you for? Well, Romans 5. And 1 to 5 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Suffering produces endurance. That's what it's meant to do. And we can be confident that God is looking to help us to endure for the long run. Why? Because he wants us to inherit his glory with him. Endurance beyond suffering proves your faith. How do you know that you will stand in the day of trouble unless you've been tested? God tests you because he loves you enough to trust you with his gospel. He trusts you. He trusts each one of you to hold on to the truth for which Jesus died. The confidence to endure is shown here by the reflection of who God is. God is the creator, it says. Um, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator whilst doing good. The point is, even if your body is utterly destroyed, God is the creator who will put you back together. You need not fear. You will gain a new body in heaven. And it will be perfect. So whether you endure will very much depend on which life you believe in. This life or the life to come. You see, Stephen, what's really interesting about Stephen's suffering is when, when the conflict actually reaches its fever point, he's looking to heaven. He's not looking at them. He's not looking at the stones. He's looking to heaven. And we need to get our eyes fixed in the right place. Which life are we living for? 
Now, Jim Elliott, the famous missionary who was killed by a cannibal tribe in Ecuador, and he and his friends went there to evangelize, said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You know, your life, you can never keep it. We will all die. But there's something we can gain we will never lose. Because Christ endured the cross. We need to endure this life and the suffering that comes with it. As the writer says here, he said it is essentially the time for judgment. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. Almost terrifying words, were it not for the hope beyond this life. So I say to you, endure as it gets tougher. Why? Because Christ endured for you and me. He suffered, he died for the glory set before him. It is the joy of Christ to die for you and me. Might it be our joy, perhaps even to die for Christ? Who knows? Shall we pray? Lord, preaching on suffering is hardly laugh a minute, but I thank you, Lord, that there is joy somehow within it. I think we all have stories of suffering and endurance, and I thank you, Lord, that you give us great joy beyond it. I thank you, Lord, that you are with us in all of our trials, whatever they may be. But I want to pray, Father, as we start to preach the gospel more and more to this town of ours I want to pray Father that we will know how to handle the opposition that comes we will know how to endure we will know how to overcome in the fiery trial not because we're strong in ourselves but because you are with us so I pray Father that we might be those who are able to get beyond the trial and endure until we die to be with you or until you return. And I pray, Father, these words may give us a confidence in the gospel, a confidence in who you are, a confidence in our destination, and not be fearful of suffering, which is just passing. So I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would establish in us faith and endurance. And by that, we would inherit the promises that you've set before us. Now, Lord... We want to worship you. We want to honour you. We want to thank you for enduring the cross that we might celebrate for eternity. So in Jesus, Jesus' name I pray. Thank you, Lord, for enduring the cross. Amen.